0: Welcome to the show folks. This is wrestling changed my life. Here we go.
1: What wrestling is is uh, we're problem solvers. And I and I and I use that I use that term and now I'm going to continue to use it because I really think that it's important that that we solve problems. Whatever it is if you if you have something in your family and you have an issue that arises
0: we can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change.
1: for me wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy
0: we're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled natural talent helps but it's it's five percent of the ingredient it pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me taught me humility nothing can hit humble you more than wrestling I think it's the learning to adapt,
1: right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, that's good at wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're staying healthy out there. And let's get to it. My guest today is Aaron Simpson. Aaron was a two-time All-American for Arizona State back in the late 90s. He then went on to be a coach and then was talked into something really small at the time called MMA. And and before we knew it, he was on the UFC. And he's one of that the first group of wrestlers that made some big money in the UFC and really paved the way for folks who are watching now. So it was great to have Aaron on, especially because he was my camp counselor at the Sun Devil camp back in the early 2000s. Back when I was in seventh grade, I raised money on my own to go to the Sun Devil wrestling camp because rod tidwell and jerry mcguire he was a sun devil and he was one of my favorites so i went down to the arizona state wrestling camp and aaron simpson was my camp counselor so it was cool to have him on the show and bring it full circle folks fan of the week is john battaglia you can find him on twitter at the battaglia 724 he's the co-head coach at the screaming eagles wrestling team out in beaver county pa john thank you for the support my good friend greatly appreciated. And this episode is brought to you by Gable the Goat Part Two, which is a documentary podcast on Dan Gable covering his years as a coach from 1987 through 1993. You'll hear from Tom Ryan, Lincoln McIlravey, Tom Brands. And it's fully produced, fully scored, tons of archival footage. If you like this show, please consider giving it a listen. It's episode 109 of the feed. Or I'll text it to you. Just text Dan Gable one word to 555 888. That's Dan Gable. No spaces, one word to five 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 eight eight eight, and I'll send you the documentary right to your phone. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Aaron Simpson. Peace, Aaron Simpson. Welcome to the podcast, man. How are you?
1: I'm good. Everything's good. Just down here, in quarantined in Tempe, Arizona, right now.
0: Man, are the uh, are the kids doing homeschool? And is your oldest yeah. daughter there as well? Or
1: in fact, what's today? Today's Monday. Uh, Monday the 30th, and we just found out that our kids' can't, school's canceled for the year now. Schools all in Arizona, the, Governor Ducey just canceled them for everybody. So they're out, we're home, my daughter's out there doing her homework and frustrated right now with everything. <laughs> it's it's kind of how, t- how our life is. We're we're not, we used to homeschool when they were younger, so we're not necessarily, you know, we weren't opposed to it or we're not used to it. Uh, I guess we are used to it in a way. So yeah, that's 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 life here in Tempe, I guess.
0: But dude, I was following you on Instagram a little bit. Your kids are maybe some of the most active kids I've seen, just based uh, on what they're doing—tap dancing, running, like crazy yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. My 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 son is a high-level dancer. husband since he was four years old. My wife took—I have twins, boy and girl. And my wife took them in when they're early, and he took to it. And she didn't. My daughter did. not and then he's just been, and he gets all kinds of attention for it. And he's really good. He enjoys it. Um, he does everything, though. He plays baseball. Um, tried wrestling a little bit. Didn't necessarily like it. But, you know, he's, he has that side to him. I just don't know if it's what it is that's keeping him from it. I'm not really pushing on him. So, yeah. We'll see. Someday, maybe we'll. Maybe, maybe not. It's a great sport, though. We know that. You and I both know that.
0: Indeed. And,. That's a good segue because your pops was a high school coach back in Nebraska in the in the early days for you. I was one of my first questions was, it seemed like you loved wrestling right away. Like your dad would take away your wrestling shoes as punishment. So how was he able to get you to fall in love with wrestling without being kind of an overbearing coach?
1: Yeah, he. he uh... It was mine at an early age. Like I, I I loved it ever since that I could remember. You know, I'd go to sleep at nighttime with my singlet when I was a little <laughs> kid, <clears> the <throat> night before a tournament or whatever, you know, just be so uh, so excited. That's just all how, how it was for me. I have an older brother, and uh, he, he kind of had a love-hate relationship with wrestling. Um, did it because he was good enough in high school to do it. Um, actually, he was going to go wrestle at the Air Force Academy and turned him down the last second and decided he just wanted to be a student. and. And, and was a good student to be in a, uh, getting his, his degree in, um, engineering and still great for himself. But yeah, wrestling was my thing. And I, and I loved it, you know, from, from an early age when I knew who Nate Carr was and Kenny Monday and, and guys like that, guys that I, they, that I would read magazines. You know, I'm, I was in Nebraska at the time and all I had was like the USA wrestling magazine that would come out. And that was back in the early eighties, you know, mid eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, 86 87 88 we moved to Arizona and then I found out what sunkist was and, and and I did freestyle a lot more in Arizona than we did in Nebraska so yeah it was just just something that that I did you know throughout the year and I didn't have the best coaching or, or training partners that my dad was a coach and he was a great coach um, a great high school coach but um just not the high level of, of training and uh and, and technically or whatever especially now what these kids get these days
0: sure I mean it's it's crazy now and- I mean, obviously Arizona is definitely on the upswing, but back then it probably wasn't at the level of the Midwest. maybe it was the same as Nebraska but did you uh how did you seek out training partners and continue to, to advance your game in high school
1: well you know i, I, I went every weekend to it the tournaments I would grew up down in the desert out down by Yuma Arizona, where came Velasquez, and some of these studs are from um and so we'd come up to, to Phoenix on every weekend and wrestle and tournaments. All I could do, I didn't have training, and then I'd run and, and lift and do whatever. But I didn't really have, have legit practices. My high school wasn't much for wrestling. I didn't necessarily have training partners besides my friends that I could throw around. So in the summers I'd do camps. You know, um, my dad would always bring like a good clinician out to our high school and do camps that way. But I just just learned by doing, I guess, more than anything. And I was a good enough athlete that I could pick stuff up, um, you know, and aspired to be like, if I'd get a videotape, and I think I saw you post, you know, all the, all the videos you watched, the videotape, the cassette tapes, or the VHS mm-hmm. you had. I mean, I had I had the the, the main one was John Smith, one of the Olympics in 88. And Man, I watched that thing over and over and over and thought i could shoot a little single forever, you know. <laughs> that, that was the... Had the little sh- shake your leg out in the back a little bit and yeah. blast in on the single. And everyone wanted to do that, you know, in that that age group. Um, so, yeah, man. And then when I got to go to ASU and, and, and be under uh, Leroy Smith and obviously John Smith's brother, and I didn't know much about Leroy at the time, um, but I thought it was a, a, a great situation for me.
0: How long was Leroy your coach?
1: Um, Leroy, my, all five years. I was his first recruiting class. We were the, maybe the number four recruiting class in the country my freshman year. Uh, Bobby Douglas just went to Iowa State.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I was with Leroy there. And then, and then I graduated, and, I, and he kept me on staff for a couple of years until 2001 when, when when he was let go. And they brought in Tom Ortiz, and then Tom Ortiz kept me on. And then I was there until about 2007, 2008.
0: And that's when the uh, the MMA circle start, and we're definitely going to get there. But going back to your career, were you you had a tremendous high school career, four time state champ, one loss. Was it true you were a walk on though at ASU?
1: Yeah, yeah, I uh, I had I was getting recruited to Nebraska, which is where I grew up, and I always wanted to be a Husker. I thought growing up I was gonna play football and uh and and wrestle at the University (laughs) of Nebraska. That that was my goal. I wanna I want to do both. When I was a little kid, you know. Um looking back now I wish I would have. But um that being said, I mean I wish I would have would have done both in in college. I think I could have played um at ASU during the heyday when they were going would have been fun. But um you know it was it was just something where I was I had academic scholarships at ASU, I had a full ride academically, and so got it in order to save Leroy money, I, I was recruited as a walk on um and he had a lot of money already given out. So we were able to bring in a lot of guys, um, because of that reason. You know, I did have to eat up a scholarship and then I slowly earned athletic aid as as it came.
0: Got it. That makes sense. Okay. I'm like, yeah. God, how the heck could he not be on scholarship? Yeah, it was so. a
1: different time, but no one you know, it's Arizona, no one knew who I was. Um, you know, I placed the cadets. My senior year, I was I was uh, top four of the high school nationals. I was in the finals of junior nationals, but okay. still, I was pretty raw. You know, even though I've been wrestling my whole life, I didn't have like the greatest technique. I could just do it all I mean I, I I would pick things up fast and I, I, I felt like I had trained hard and I you know my conditioning was always I felt like better than everybody else's and kind of rolled through the junior national tournament and lost to Mark Smith in the finals which is John Smith's little brother and so he and were, brother, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he and Mark and I were kind of adversaries for a little bit and then uh, even in college a little bit and then he came out here and coached us a little bit and he and I became good friends and now we're still talking you know, every once in a while on Facebook or whatever or Instagram
0: what's crazy how, how little coverage there was back then compared to now. I mean, it's just uh, ridiculous. It, it,
1: it, what Flow Wrestling alone has done for the sport of wrestling, um, and track wrestling now, mm-hmm. is is these kids are so spoiled. Like, I'm <laughs> coaching at a high school now, and, and I tell these kids, like, you need to be watching this stuff every day because it's out there. The best wrestling, your age group, little kids, all the way to the best in the world, you can, you can find on your phone. You can pick your phone up and right. – and, and start watching stuff let alone all the little things they're tweeting out um or putting on their instagram um flow wrestling's done it and and really made wrestling a much better sport and uh, you know i in a way i think it's probably saved wrestling absolutely what what the internet's done the social media and and what flow wrestling's done and even track wrestling i mean going to a tournament be able to pull the brackets up and know who's next things run so so, so, uh, so smoothly now that Unless it crashes, like I think we had last year, all the <laughs> down.
0: Do you think MMA's had any impact on the uh, increase in wrestling numbers and increase in popularity? Yeah, definitely.
1: And I think we we called that back in the day, like when when all of us were getting into it and we were making a name. ASU wrestling was was kind of a, a big name in, in the UFC, and you know you knew people knew about Kane and, and Bader and C. B. and all the way, myself, let alone Dan Henderson and Dan Severn, all the names that came through. Yeah. Uh, We knew like this was really going to help wrestling. Maybe it wasn't going to help it like at the college level so much, but it was going to help it. Um, kids that were, and, and, and especially now that it's advance to where coach like, man, you even, you know, striking coach or whatever, like, you, if you want to do the sport? You got to learn how to wrestle. And, and I, I've had jujitsu coaches that say, man, we want you wrestling. Yeah, come to come to jujitsu class. When it's wrestling season, you need to be going there and doing it. And I think that's really wise of those instructors to uh, to have their kids wrestle if they want to be great at jujitsu or if they want to fight someday.
0: Yeah, it's like it, I feel like you could a good wrestler can learn jujitsu and be deadly and. Five to six okay. years, but you never, except for GSP, you never see it the other way around. Why do you think that is? It's just—is it harder to learn?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know as well as I do, it takes a lifetime to to do some of the things that, at a high, at a high level. And really, college wrestling put me was great for me in a way because of that grind, all the all the stuff you have to go through for a college practice. But then going out to the OTC and being around, you know, some of the best in the world, training with glass Grudges and Kenny can, can, Kenny. Uh, Kevin Jackson and, and some of those dudes. And we did all that all through college. Then I, was a, then I had a, a room at the OTC in 2000, 2001. And so, you know, that was valuable for me because then there's just that next level of changing positions and changing speeds and down blocking and sprawling, throwing your hips and adjusting that you don't get in high school. And maybe you don't get in college. So now now they man, these college kids these days are ridiculous. And, it, and I never, I thought when I was wrestling, Stephen Abbas and some of those guys—that who is the best? It's gonna get like it, it, it can't get any better than this. Yeah, we're seeing wrestling at its finest. And now you fast forward, and you see guys like Zahid and you see Dayton Fix and Spencer Lee is
0: ridiculous. Spencer
1: Lee and Kyle Dake and these dudes that are uh, just blow blow my mind is is how great wrestling is and how fun it is to watch. And I would I, I I'd be crazy to think that it's not even gonna get better than it is now. I think coaching coaching across the country back in the day. You know, you'd see an NCAA tournament and a guy would get exhausted in the finals and the Iowa guy, Iowa guy would come back and, and beat him, beat him because he, even though he was getting his ass kicked early. Mm-hmm. Now it's like you don't see guys getting tired ever. Right. You never see somebody lose a match because of fatigue because coaching is, is – great coaching throughout the country now and they're happening at, at a younger age or whatever whereas back in the day you had some old guys a college coach out in, you know some school <laughs> in california and those guys are getting exhausted at the end because they weren't being trained like they should have been trained but they won't get the technique or the recruiting or whatever so now we've got good coaching i mean we've got chris Pendleton now going up to oregon state Amazing. which is a nice change we've got a, a lot of young guys that are getting their deal with brandon agam out in Minnesota, you know, who was a, Uh, an opponent of mine forever and he's doing good things in minnesota so it's great to see some of these younger guys get these programs
0: is there a big academy scene out in arizona right now
1: um sunkiss has theirs i think the biggest uh the best in my opinion is thoroughbred wrestling academy and then they have they have a high school kind of branching off that um
0: that's the one you run or what's your affiliation with thoroughbred
1: uh, just, just that I'm friends with, with Mike Douglas, who was my roommate in college, and Dave gotcha. Douglas, my coach, and then Eric Larkin. Eric Larkin, those guys. He also. Eric started the high school, Mike started the Wrestling. Mike's out of Illinois. He was out uh, of Thorn Ridge High School, I think. Um,
0: David Douglas from Illinois, too, a four-time state yeah, champ. Yeah,
1: David Douglas, a two-time <laughs> All-American for us. So, yeah, they have run a great club out here. And then the fact that they have this Valiant Wrestling Program, which is a private school, um, Angel though, Sahudo, Henry Suhudo's mm-hmm. brother, he's the head coach of the program, so he's running it. And these kids are doing well. They're just having a tough time getting um, the AIA, or Arizona High School Association, um, to to give them the okay that they're a part of the AIA. They don't even want to compete in the AIA. They just have to get the the accreditation through them so they can compete in other states and go to Beast of the East and go to the prep nationals, a prep school. So the AIA has been giving them a runaround, and that's really crappy, and there are a lot of high school coaches out in Arizona that are kind of negatively uh, speaking about Valiant because they're afraid they're going to lose their kids to this high school. But if I'm a high school coach and I have a kid that can – can train at a high level and maybe go on to get a college scholarship and he's not going to get it done at my high school, then and I am a high school coach then I'm sending him to a value prep. Cause I know that I my best interest is that kid, not me possibly winning a state title as a coach, right? But that kid, that kid getting changed in his life.
0: Absolutely. And you think about when you were a senior going into your freshman year of college, you wrestled the, the traditional Arizona high school circuit. You're no doubt an athlete. What was the transition like going into ASU as a like day one? redshirt and kind of that three-year progression to being an all-american three years later was it yeah. a, a big jump
1: well it was it was a big jump um i was i was game for it like i loved to train it didn't matter i mean i i, I ran track and, and 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 was doing freestyle at the same time like i'd run i'd play football on a friday night and saturday morning i'd get up running a cross-country meet like i just love to be active and doing that and i love to play games and and compete so going to college, it was no different. Like, I'm like, all right, what is it? What are we doing? The, the jump was like, I talked about Marcus Malika, who was a two time national champ for us. I don't think I touched his leg for several months in college and, and he just a to toy with me. And I was, you know, one of the better kids coming out of high school and here he was a freshman national champ. Um, so that was huge for me. I didn't, it was never a, a like I was always leading the runs. I was always, you know, winning the, the sprints. Um, and, and doing all that so there was never an issue with that it was all technical it was never how hard i could go um and there was a learning curve i had to get you know i body fake somebody all day and not score points on them i had to try to figure out how how to, how to actually put together technique behind that but um yeah that was more the technical part of it and then the strategy. I had Pat Lynch was, was, was in a training part of mine that really coached me a little bit. and we were in the same weight class, but he had back issues and he was, a, he was an all-American before me. Um, and he talked to me about strategy and wrestling smart and not necessarily you know going 100 miles an hour. So I had some good influences around me, Ray Miller. Um, some big names that were ASU, you know, guys. Plus Kevin Jackson. Kevin Jackson was huge for me. He was a coach and my training partner at ASU while I was there. So.
0: And he was the first. Uh, what was it? The first UFC fight, fight you ever watched was KJ back in the yeah. early days.
1: Yeah. I mean, we all got together and Kevin was like, "Hey, I'm going to do this UFC thing," and we're like, "All right." So we go in to train, and help him out, and I, I did a little bit. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, you know. Um, and and I, he didn't really either. And then he went and we had a big party at my house, a bunch of college guys, you can imagine. Yeah. And then uh, Kevin's fighting over in Japan, I think it was, or wherever it was, and we're going crazy and he slammed some dude, beat him up, We, you know, we went nuts for the rest of the night, I think. But yeah, that's where where the really beginnings for me, of it was, I mean, I think I might have seen the first one when it was kind of no holds barred or no gloves or anything. But um, then, then once KJ stepped in there, and then, you know, you fast forward and they have the ultimate fighter and I'm training with Josh Koscheck now Josh is a coach at Buffalo at the time Buffalo University I'm going out there trying to get ready for the Olympic trials in 2004 yeah 2004 um so we, he and I are training he comes out here I go there and then you know fast forward past the Olympic trials and he goes hey man I want this reality show called the ultimate fighter you should you should check it out it's pretty cool i'm like oh, i'm in real pro wrestling dude it's gonna be something big <laughs> so, he, so he's calling me from the ultimate fighter house and I'm, I'm like shooting real pro wrestling out in california thinking we're doing something big and uh let I me mean, see where the two went. <laughs> no, one heard, no one ever heard of real pro wrestling and then obviously josh you know fought for a title in the ufc fought gsp and and did some, some pretty cool things to UFC. And then he, and the whole time he's like, man, you got to get out of coaching. He goes, it's, it's there's, it, it, you're going nowhere with that. This is where you should be. You should be fighting right now. And he said that from 2004 to 2008 when I finally was in it. It took you know, that so, long
0: to convert after '04? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I was coaching. It was like, it was a, it was a safe thing for me. I, I, I stopped training. I think I lost to Chris Pendleton at the world team trials for third and fourth in 2005. And that was my last match. Um, and so then from there, you know, I just was coaching, 2005, 6, 7, I leave ASU and I start training with uh, Bader and CB at a local gym here in Tempe. And,
0: when was the Cal Poly thing when you were doing flights out there? Yeah, that
1: was, that was, uh, I was that was right after that year. So I had a year where I, where I would fly, I lived in Tempe, but I would fly out to Cal Poly once a month and, and uh, help, the, help Sammy Henson was coaching out there with John uh, with Osvito and, and I helped coach those guys, so I got to you know be around Chad Mendes for a year and, and Boris Lavachkov, and it was a cool experience, man. San Luis Obispo, if they had a fully funded program and 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 facilities like other programs, I don't know anyone going to any other school. That place is just unbelievable. Right Beautiful. Oh yeah, it's it's unbelievable. But man, they still probably have five scholarships, and they're battling every year to even you know stay alive. But that, that that program would be something something special too.
0: Yeah, I mean I mean but think about the guys you just listed off there, Chad Mendez, um Koscheck, and all these guys, and plus all the ASU guys, without UFC, they would have been doing coaching. an assistant coaching job making twenty five grand a year in Buffalo, New York, yeah. and then all of a sudden this thing just freaking explodes and it's it's a it's a godsend, really. I mean, think about all the people who have made a living out of this. And even if yeah. you aren't a fighter, you got to be a wrestling coach at the gyms, and that was a whole thing, right?
1: Yeah, and it is to this day. I mean, now you get wrestling coaches that are going in and learn how to hold pads, learn jujitsu, and 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 you know, kind of making a living that way themselves. Yeah, MMA has really done that for people, um, and the, the UFC and now Bellator um, is taken it to that next level as well. But yeah, it's an exciting time, I think to be a to be a, a wrestler and yeah more so than any other time there were. i mean i think it you look back at some of the old you know stuff in the 60s and 50s and oklahoma state some of those matches were like they crowded around the mat i think <laughs> wrestling back then was probably a pretty fun time you know being an athlete back then because you didn't have social media you didn't have all this garbage you just you could kind of get away with a lot and i think it was it was maybe the old west of of uh sports Mm -hmm. college for sure collegiate athletics for sure i mean now there's so much involved in recruiting and so many rules and so i'm sure some of those some of those guys from the old timers probably probably would prefer some of that stuff but
0: man you look at their technique it's wild to watch those guys go (laughs) watch watch dan gable's matches senior year and you're like oh
1: my god i can't believe he got taken down like that (laughs) you know he lost he lost his his last match in college and it was not the best wrestling. I'm sure he'd probably admit that. Like it was definitely it, how far it's, it's advanced.
0: We you think about a lot of the guys I have in this show are about your age, they say their first time going to Nationals was the first time they ever watched the Nationals. When you got there your sophomore year, was that the case, or had you gone a couple times before that? To the NCAA tournament? Yeah.
1: Well, I, my senior year of high school, my dad and I went out to it and watched it. My dad okay. got us tickets, and it was really special. We were we were really close with Matt Johnson, who was a finalist that year from Iowa State. His dad and my dad grew up together in Colorado, so and I've known Matt since I was little. We were he was coached at Wyoming when I was at ASU. Like we we were friends for then, but um, so that was the first time. And then I then I qualified my freshman year in okay. the NCAA tournament. Actually, I went two and two at the NCAA tournament that year. So. That was maybe the second time I've been to a national tournament, but and it's the greatest tournament in the world. I say it every year. Like I think I've been. To, this would have been my nineteenth this year going. Um, it's it's there's nothing like it. I mean, I've been to the World Championships. I've been to some of the greatest tournaments. I've never been to the Olympics, but um, the NCAA tournament is is phenomenal. Like there's no there's no uh, there's nothing that compares to that environment because every match means something. Every match. I took my son to it, who's not the biggest fan of wrestling, and he was like on the edge of his seat the entire time, looking at the brackets. I'm explaining who's who, and yeah, it's it's, it's pretty special.
0: Is it what what what's a bigger like kind of ch- chills in the back of your neck moment? Like right before UFC's getting underway, or the Friday morning quarterfinals at nationals? All
1: right, good question. There's nothing like knocking somebody out in a cage at a high level fight, like on on TV. Like my first knockout was in the WEC, and I. Close my door right hand over the top. That I, <laughs> I, I was supposed to lose to. They were picking this black belt in jiu-jitsu to lose, and and I and I floored him in about 17 seconds. And it was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing in the world, you know? <laughs> um and that and that was like walking out for the Olympic trials. And I think I was walking out for the semifinals against Brandon Agum, and I remember like this feeling of like strength and power and like just zoned in. Um, that was that was awesome. The NCAA tournament was awesome, but why doing a walk? Walking out to a UFC fight, a legit UFC fight. Um, it's there's nothing that compares. <laughs> Stepping in a cage, having them lock the gate behind you. Like it, it's it's not for everybody. Um, a lot of wrestlers wouldn't do it, which I which blows me away because like I knew who the type of wrestler I was. I'm like, I, of course, this is our this is it's in our blood. We're going anyone would do this, but there are a lot of wrestlers like, no way, I'm not. Like, I wouldn't do that. So, what was your know.
0: journey into the UFC? Like, how did you get into it? You, it was oh eight oh seven. How old were you? And like, what was your path to get in there? Um,
1: started training. Um, my first month, they were like, hey, you want to fight down in in the uh, Cayman Islands? And Beta, Ryan Bader was like, just fought there. Several months before, points said, like, Dude, you got to go do this. This guy you're fighting is a turd. It's <laughs> a heavyweight. And I'm like, I weigh 200 pounds. Like, yeah, but these guys are tar- terrible. So I go down to the Cayman Islands, and I made like five grand to, just to fly down there and fight some guy that was a little short, fat dude from, from, he's probably 230 pounds. And he came out swinging. I'd only been training for a month, and really not very much. And I double legged the guy like five times, and he, like was doing these little punches on his face. <laughs> I, I'm like looking at the ref, like, "Please stop this fight! I, I think I'm gonna kill him." And I wasn't killing him; I was barely touching him. But like, I just kept taking him down, slamming him because I didn't know anything else. And that was my first fight. Then I had like two others, one in Rocky Point, Mexico. Um, at that time, I'm like, it was in the baseball I was out in a baseball field in Rocky Point, Mexico, and I'm like,
0: "Where the hell pacing. is Rocky Point, Mexico? At like yeah, driving distance." Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's right, on the, it's right in the ocean. It's actually beautiful. It's a huge destination for like spring breakers out here. Okay, All the colleges go out there and it's a great, it's a fun place. But I'm in the, you know, I'm not where the fun is. I'm in a baseball diamond, like a Little League baseball diamond. I'm out <laughs> outfield like walk, is a cage is away from me. I, my fight's coming up. And I'm walking out there and I'm going, holy shit, what am I doing with my life? Like I've got two college degrees <laughs> and I'm getting ready to go step in a cage for a thousand bucks and fight some some guy that I that I'll kill and, and I'm not really getting up for it now. And it's like maybe my third fight at that time. I'm like, geez, I don't know if I should be doing this. I stepped in there, beat the guy. Um, and then, then my fourth fight, I got called to get into the WEC, which I don't know, mm-hmm. I remember. On the yeah. network. They ended up getting bought by Zufa, which was, you know, actually they, when I, when I fought for them, they were under Zufa, which is owned the UFC. Yeah. And, uh, had a fast knockout there and then boom my next fight was in the UFC so I had a fast track I mean I was in the UFC in a year you know with that
0: has it changed quite a bit even from back in your time to now based on what you know and what you've seen guys like who are fighting in terms of like it just like the the media requirements just the the change in the atmosphere is it pretty similar
1: yeah, it's changed, um, and it was something that I didn't that I didn't grasp as much as as I looking back now I probably should have. But the guys that that are having success now are the ones that are just taught just going Chael Sonnen. Like everybody wants to be the next Chael Sonnen. You know, you look at you look at Conor McGregor and some of those guys. Um, they to me they owe a lot to what Chael did. The way he the way he carried himself, mm-hmm. how he would build fights. Like I didn't build fights. I would just. Get in, fight. You get your hand raised. Run. You just we're, we we did stuff. as is how we were raised to wrestle. You know, you don't you don't look at me. Just you want to talk about the victory and, and go off and train again. It's not like, look how great I am. And now it's it's crazy. Like it's, maybe it's just a society with with Facebook and Instagram and everything. It's like look at me, look at me, look at me, look how great I am. Like I don't know how many girls you see on their Instagram. It's the same <laughs> picture, the turn picture in the mirror with a little bit of their butt cheek showing. Oh yeah. Every picture. And it's like, God, I, how can you even like yourself? Maybe <laughs> you don't like yourself. And that's why you feel like you have to do this. The selfies, I, it blows me away. I can understand like posting funny stuff and you have friends. I have friends. that we, we joke with each other and so we put dumb stuff on there. But the constant like motiv- – and the motivational Instagrams of the guys that are like, hey, man, can you get up in the morning. I'm going to run. Like you got to get train. And the guy's got like five followers and he's just being inspirational.
0: What about the 22-year-old I, life coach?
1: Oh God! I just saw a twelve-year-old uh girl giving makeup advice on Instagram. Um, and it's Ooh. she's gonna do her makeup tutorial, and it's it just blows me away. Like as a parent, you gotta be like, "No, give me the phone. You're not giving makeup advice."
0: <laughs> do you, you uh parent. now that you're a parent? I mean, you you seem like you really love being a dad, and I wanted to ask you about this. Is there a new meaning to like? discipline when you're raising a family in terms of like time management and and things like that. And, and how do you manage your kids on social media and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, they don't have social media. They don't, they can, they can look like at TikTok. They're friends that have it. So they can get on and look at those. But like, we really have to manage that YouTube, the craft that's on YouTube or we'll watch. My son likes to get on there and watch like highlight stuff from sports and, and the how to on bait, how to throw a curveball and pitching. And he, he likes that dude, dude, perfect. Do you know what dude perfect is? Huh. Never heard of it? Oh, look up dude. Perfect on YouTube. Okay. It's, these dudes are my age or younger. And they are living a dream life. And they go out and just just do like obstacle courses and fun stuff, and throw a <laughs> ping pong ball into a glass from you know the top of the roof. And they just it's and they they made millions on this deal. So he watches that stuff, dude. Perfect. Got it. Uh, yeah, I, don't know. I wish I had thought of it. <laughs> so, but yeah, man, parenting's it's different. I don't have like. Like a, a huge farm or wood to go chop or anything to to go send my kids out too like mow <laughs> the lawn. That's about the most. Pick up the dog poop in the backyard. That's about the most discipline I can get them to do. Right. So, and I don't want to do discipline as like, yeah, hey, you, you messed up. You got push ups. Because <laughs> like, I think I think coaches that discipline by like making a kid work out is the, sends the wrong message. I think that like we we let. I'll, I'll never forget this. I was coaching with Sammy Henson out in Cal Poly and his son Jackson is a, is a little stud, um, he's growing up now, but Jackson was this little kid, I think it was Jackson or Wyatt, one of the one of the two kids of Sammy's. Mm-hmm. And and we're training um, at the Cal Poly room and his son's there and his, and his son goes, Dad, Dad, can I do 10, can I do five sprints? And he goes, yeah, okay, go ahead. And so here goes little Wyatt, boom, or Jackson, one of them, whichever one it was. He did uh, 10, five sprints. And he came back and goes, Dad, Dad, can I do five more sprints? Like he was asking his dad if he, he could do five sprints, as opposed to <laughs> Sammy going, Dang it, you messed up. Do five sprints. Right. And I just think that reverse psychology. So the other day we were playing ping pong with my son, and I go, Okay, whoever wins this 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 round right here gets to do fifty push-ups. You know, or every point played, whoever get wins that point, you get to do ten push ups. So like it was a battle of who gets to do more push-ups. And I think if we can start like framing that. It's, it, it it changes the way kids view exercise. And, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to be able to do push-ups. Not yeah. a naked thing. No. I, I hate coaches. It's usually the big fat coach that's never done a push-up in his life with his big goal. Barking out, <laughs> barking out orders, you know. We've all had them. Was, oh, my it's God. It's mostly football coaches that do that, by I, the way.
0: Um, did, so did you ever try out for ASU when you were there and, like, work out with those guys?
1: I worked out with the football team my senior year, um like, like, uh, just sprints and went out on the football field, and did stuff like that, but never, never, you know, legit stuff. But, you know, I was in Pat Tillman and, and, and some of those guys, like I was friends with all those dudes, Jake Plummer and, and Keith Poole, and some of them still friends with today. Um, so it would have been a fun time. I look back and see, like, I was, I would, would have probably been a wide receiver or a defensive back. And I, and I look at like Keith Poole, who was a wide receiver and he was my size, um, And it was a stud wide receiver. And I think I could have complimented him or I I could have been out there in the defense. I was 200 pounds, six foot, you know, but it was just such a big thing to me. Like, oh, college football. I came from crappy high school, college football. I mean, high school football. So it would have been fun, but it is what it is. My life went this way.
0: Well, dude, I was going to ask you, obviously you're, you're big supporter of the Pat Tillman Foundation. I have to know what is the, what is your connection there? Is it? Is that something where you guys were just buddies and you feel very, very, uh, kind of driven think, by the cause or,
1: well, I think anyone who was at ASU around that time and early anyone who's a Sun Devil to this day, I think is drawn to what Pat's message was. Um, we visited several times. We never hung out or anything, but you know, we see each other in the weight room all the time. We'd always ask each other, you know, how are we doing? I knew Kevin, his brother, a little bit more. They'd come and watch us wrestle. Their dad wrestled, um, at San Jose state back in the day. Okay. Um, So they knew wrestling. Um, Kevin was playing baseball at the time at ASU, and so you know there was there was just that connection Um, when it happened. I was I'll never forget. I was at the two thousand four like a down in Louisiana, New Orleans. there was like an Olympic team trials qualifier, and I um, I think I just won it. And then that night I went out, and I think we got the news that Pat was killed, and it just man, it just buried me like it like most anybody around that time, but. Some of us that knew him and knew what he stood for. I mean, the guy was just unbelievable.
0: He, he was an NFL player, right, and then left that to go serve. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And he, and he signed a contract, and he could have went somewhere else. Like, he was coming up, and, the, and he re-signed. Like, and he wasn't the best NFL player, but he's the type of guy you want on your team. I mean, he showed – he didn't do – he got a bonus and put it away. He lived in a small house. He drove a Jeep. He rode his bike. He had a bicycle. He rode his bicycle to practice. He's an NFL football player. <laughs> he had his cleats over his neck and tied his shoelaces through him over his neck, and he would ride his bike up to practice. While all the other guys were riding, you know, going up in their Range Rovers and everything, here comes Pat riding up on his bicycle. I mean, he was just a freaking dude. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if you if you ever get a chance to read anything on him or read kind of about his life. I, I think he's someone that that we should all aspire to be like. You know?
0: Yeah. ESPN should do a 30-for-30 30 30 on that guy. I'm surprised uh, yeah. he hasn't done something. Well, right. there,
1: there have been a lot. Of, there's stuff you can do. There, there have already been a lot of things on him. I want to say ESPN's done a bunch of stuff on him, too. Maybe okay. not 30 for
0: 30 but... Yeah, I yeah. was just... Uh, I figured you guys crossed paths there, and I, I wanted to ask um, what what yep. your connection was there. Um, so two things I wanted to hit on that we haven't covered yet was, one was... The fact that you're a high school coach now, you've had an incredible career to look back on, coaching fighters, coaching wrestlers, and obviously relying on your own experience. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your junior year in college, you've said it's the only time where you did enjoy working out. What do you think changed that year versus earlier in college and then even after college? Because I understand you still love getting after it now.
1: Repeat that question again. My headphones. (laughs) I saw you.
0: I saw you grab it. I I just said... um, now that you're a high school coach, looking back on your career, your junior year, you said it's one of the only times where you didn't enjoy working out and you felt like it was more of a job. What do you take from that experience to help your guys, one, make sure they don't feel that way, and two, kind of get themselves right mentally to pull through something like that?
1: Yeah, it was crazy. You, you do your homework, don't you? <laughs> uh, do as much as I, I can. That's good. That's good. That's um, good. Yeah, you know, I just think we got me and my, my roommate at the time, Casey Strand. We both won Midlands, so we trained our asses off up until – I mean, we trained our asses off the whole year, but we were we were really like peaking at Midlands, which was, you know, end of December. We both won Midlands, and we were riding high. Um, by the time the NCAAs rolled around, we were just burnt out, and it was like – God, it was so tough for us. Um, I ended up going to and out at the NCAA tournament, and it just – I d I don't know. I don't know what happened. I lost with one I mean, I lost to two end up two guys ended up being all Americans. St- I mean the one guy I lost to, we were ranked number one and number two. We both lost first round. I saw that. So, Freaking crazy. Yeah, it was just it was just a bad time. Um weird things were happening, I guess. Um, but I love the sport and I, yeah, I continue to and I still, you know, get on the app with my high school guys now. I've got a knee that probably needs a knee replacement. Um, body hurts a little bit, shoulders all I mean I can name probably ten injuries yeah. that are chronic but it's you know it's still good to get out of training i guess
0: so do you think you were just overworked that year or you was yeah. it, were you cutting too much weight or
1: no i wasn't cutting too much weight i just think we over we, we were overworked and i think uh, and looking back now we were doing like leroy was training us and i think he was feeling it we were we had some momentum going and we were doing like we'd go and, and wrestle matches and then we'd run across and we'd do a circuit and we'd go back and wrestle matches do a circuit and like i would get my ass kicked by like the, the, the third best you know or, or like a, the, maybe the <laughs> fourth worst guy in the team yeah I'm coming across exhausted from from doing a hard circuit and not able to even hold my hands up and I just think it just got us down where we should have been this is like getting close to the NCAA tournament you know I think we really should have been backing off and like riding high going into that so yeah that's kind of um, changed the way I, I coached guys and thought about guys and, and the way I approached guys when I was coaching at ASU even
0: yeah Piccolo's like dude uh if, if the time comes up ask simpson about 97 because he's like that moved me even to this day as a coach like he said you just walked out and wearing your singlet just walking out of the arena i'm like fuck oh, he that remembers gives me, that. dude that gave me chills when he said it and it gave me chills saying it now i'm like if the time is right i had to ask him because every wrestler on here we talk about some moment like that and um you think back dude how many teams are overtrained in the 90s that's most of them right
1: oh uh, that's what you did all of them right <laughs> yeah you over there was no and i think gable had put off that he was training as guy but i think he was really he was way far ahead of everybody else as far as he had everyone thinking like well, they're running through walls every day and i don't think they were doing that
0: he was good you know, about thought... he was good about giving guys what they needed some guys didn't even do that the afternoon practice exactly he
1: was he individualized it whereas you know some coaches that were saying everybody needs to be shooting low singles. Yeah. Like, why, why are you making the heavyweight shoot a low single? Right. Why are you making this guy do this? Why is this guy doing this? And it was like you have to individualize it. I think Gable set the standard and then it took a long time for people to realize that. But, no, nah, you're you're exactly right. It's funny that Brian knew that because it was his teammate that I lost to him for to, to stay in the tournament. And I just – I tried to walk home. Like I, I was probably a mile and a half down the road. In your and singlet? My team, in my singlet, northern Iowa freezing out and my team comes rolling up man I was just like it was depressing
0: how long until you were able to get back on the horse and get after it
1: uh I, I went one university like two weeks later let's go three weeks later <laughs> yeah, so yeah that what that qualified me for the Pan Am championship that they took a college team that time so I got to be a you know I was on a team with Chris Bono and some got some of those guys that were it was a, a, a cool experience but yeah, man. I mean, I I was back in the room. I, I shook it off, and because I love the sport. Yeah. You know, I I, I wasn't. I would never have like I was going to quit. I I was just just broken from what what I lost a match. My first match, I lost on a locked hands call. I shot a double leg and held him on his back, but it was locked hands and it wasn't on his back. And oh. Lost by, <laughs> I lost two matches by a point. It was just shockingly sad. Dude,
0: <laughs> brutal. But you came back, and and now you said obviously you love wrestling. You're a high school coach. This is the last thing I want to talk about is what's that been like going back to the to the grassroots level because I understand the high school didn't even oh, have wrestling uh, until you got there,
1: dude. So it's not and not a, a high level uh, program. Yeah, there's it's a third year of the program this year. I was I was there for the second year, and I didn't realize what coaches dealt with. High school coaches, you're dealing with kids that are coming from broken homes. Kids that are coming from parents that are alcoholics or drugs or no parents at all and they're living at someone else's house. Abuse, like um, let alone the drugs that are in the school. Um, and we're in, it's in a pretty nice school and, and I talked to a couple of kids like, yeah, this stuff's everywhere. Like they, you, everyone's vaping, all these kids are. Right. It's a different day and age. Like you don't. I, I hardly know any of my parents that are coming. The ones I do know are there every day, and they're watching their kids, and they're 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 showing up the to tournaments. And those are the kids that you can tell are, are doing the right thing. Some kids, their parents aren't involved. Like I, there's one family. There's one kid I've never met his parents, and wouldn't know him here and there. And he comes and goes, and great kid. But man, they they have they have. They have their issues, and just the stuff that comes up, like why they want to miss practice. You <laughs> know, and it's a standard that I'm not that I'm not used to, and it's we don't have a feeder program, so these kids are like they're coming brand new, never heard of wrestling.
0: Never wrestled yeah. in middle school.
1: Never. No, there's no like this. This high school doesn't have middle school wrestling in in an area, so there's no feeder programs. Oh my god. So I have god. a kid. I have a kid goes, hey dad, or hey dad, hey coach, I can't come to practice because uh, my little brother's got a birthday birthday party on Saturday, and my mom wants me to be at it. Like, are you shitting me? You're gonna <laughs> miss the wrestling tournament for a bir- your little brother's <laughs> birthday party. So oh. that happens a lot. I get some of that. I'm sure I can. I share that story, and many more coaches come up. Oh yeah, and they, we all try to outdo yeah. each other on, on how weak our some of our kids are. But think you. Still have you still have some tough kids. And you went back, and I go back to Arizona. And you say, you know, it's, it's it's gaining ground on how great the state is, but we've always put out great individual wrestlers. I mean, look at him and Mm -hmm. Eric Larkin and, and date back to Eddie Urbano, these guys. Yeah. The Gallic brothers. It's like, we have great individuals and they, and the little pockets of schools, like Sunnyside high schools put out Tom Ortiz and some of these, you know, these studs that went on to wrestle division one and made world teams. And, Mm -hmm. um, so we have that. There's the talent around here. Now it's going to get developed because of better coaching and programs. We've got a program out of the west side of Phoenix now, Liberty High School, that's really kicking butt. Um, they've got a great feeder system, Sun Kiss out here in Tempe, yeah. and then Thoroughbred down here in Tempe and Chandler. So it's coming. It's just, it's, just, uh, it's just we're behind still a little bit.
0: Well, one of the things I want to ask you is, obviously you could coach at any elite high school. What brought you to this high school you're at now versus going to that prep school you mentioned earlier? I got talked into it by a father. Oh you so did? Of, okay.
1: Yeah, one of my friends, uh his his son was wrestling at the high school and they weren't exactly happy with the way the program is going. They wanted it they wanted he and another guy wanted it changed. They wanted so they conned me into it in a way. Um, they, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse, um, and it was—it's been cool. It's been really awesome. And he's—he's a—he's—he's he's a business owner out here, and, and does really well for himself. And so he was able to—he's done a lot for the program, built this program, and nice and. Really, so Christian Pagdalea was an All-American force at ASU last year. I called Christian, and I go, hey, will you do privates with this kid? I can't do it. He's, he's the dad that, that brought me on, and the kid's a little smaller. So I hooked Christian up with his dad, um, and so he was doing privates, and pretty soon the dad calls and he goes, hey, would you like Christian as your assistant coach next year? I'm like, yeah, awesome. I love Christian. So uh, CPags came over, and so we both coached together this past year. and So here you got – Two division, you know, Division One All-Americans coaching at a high school that is <laughs> way behind, but we're we're doing our best and it's fun. And, and Christian also works for the guy's company. I got Christian a job with uh, with the dad with the dad's company. So I love it. It's kind of cool. It's all about networking and, and taking care of people that you like. I guess
0: it's huge. That's especially in wrestling. You always find there's someone like that connected to each program in some way or another, whether it's high school, middle school, or or college. Um, yeah. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you, man, is it's, it's the name of the podcast. How did wrestling change your life? And, and you've applied it to many different areas. We didn't really talk about your real estate career, but obviously an MMA coach, an MMA fighter, all-American college coach. So you have a lot to choose from. But what are some of the things that stand out to you of, of, of core takeaways that the sport's given you?
1: Well, I, I don't know that it ever changed my life. I think it made my life. How about that? Um, some wrestling... people say,
0: Gain and Gable's like, it didn't change my life. It made my life better. So you could say whatever yeah. you want.
1: Yeah, that's it. There are some kids that are going one direction. Came Velasquez. I mean, he would have gone one direction, and because of wrestling, his life took off in another direction. Because of he was able to get a degree from ASU and then fight the UFC and now the WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was always a wrestler. And that was just what it was. So it, it did. It made my life. Um, I, I, you know, everyone says the cliche things like hard work and, and dedication and discipline and stuff. Of course, that's what you get from wrestling. Um, I, I I was speaking the other day, and, and it hit me that that what wrestling is is uh, we're problem solvers. And I and I and I use that I use that term, and now I'm going to continue to use it because I really think it's important that that we solve problems, whatever it is. If you, if you have something in your family and you have an issue to arise, we if you're a wrestler, you you're like okay. Guy's on my leg, I, I got to shove his head, or I, I'm here, I kick out, or how am I going to solve this problem, this guy on my leg? I'm down by two points, how do I solve this problem? Um, I think maybe a lot of sports get that, but we we as wrestlers, we do it um, at a level of like um, a sense of urgency. That was, a, that was a term that Z Jones used to always use with us. Um, we had that sense of urgency to solve a problem quickly and move on to the next issue and problem. And so I think that's where... That's where it, it arises with me is, you know, we have, we have a sense of urgency to, to solve problems. And and we're really good at it it's, it's rough. for mo- most wrestlers are. If we're not causing problems, we're right. that.
0: Well, dude, you're, you're the only the second person who's ever said that. The first was Andy Rovat. And he said that that's how the Russians look at wrestling. Russians don't look at wrestling as this grueling physical task. They look at it as complex sol- problem solving at the highest levels. right wow, I mean, it's wow. like it's, it's spot Andy, on to what you said, Andy though. Would not. <laughs>
1: Andy and I, were, Andy and I were, uh, were, were adversaries there for a while. And now we're good friends, so it's pretty yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, he said that, but I, I uh. think it's true, though, man. Um, so you know, it's a good way to look at it versus the the typical things you hear. So, really appreciate your time, sir. I know you got a house full of kids. We'll let you go. Uh, great catching up with you, though, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for reaching out. It's been fun. Absolutely. Take care. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text Russell to 555-888. That's Wrestle to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.